Joining me on the show today is a fascinating guest. He has spoken at TEDx Wall Street, a little place called Google. You might have heard of it. He co-founded Signature Bank New York, and he's jumping into a completely different realm than banking on this show. He authored In Good Faith, Questioning Religion and Atheism. This conversation is going to blow your mind, so stay with me. You're listening to Living a Limitless Life. I'm your host, Sharon Hughes, and on this show, we cover mastering your mindset, growing your faith, and becoming the leader you want to be. Every week, I bring you a candid conversation with world-class thought leaders, change makers, and hope dealers. They work in every arena, from the boardroom, to politics, to churches and synagogues. This show is where you need to be to get where you want to go. All right, friends, I'm really glad you're here. Come on, let's do this. Dale Carnegie of Orange County is proud to sponsor Living a Limitless Life. Dale Carnegie is a global training company focused on leadership presentation, team engagement, customer service, and sales. We help people take command of their work in order to change their lives. Joining me on the show today is one of the most diverse interviews I've ever done, and I'm so excited about this. My guest is the co-founder of Signature Bank in New York and has recently completely jumped from that realm into authoring a book that I think is going to answer the hard questions for you around faith. The book is called In Good Faith, Questioning Religion and Atheism. Welcome to the show, Scott Shea. Thank you, Sharon, for having me. Oh, I'm so thrilled. Your book, like I just said when we were off air, needs to be a college course. It's amazing. Well, actually, some churches are using it as a six-part uh, adult learning opportunity. So it is slowly me. happening. <laughs> doesn't surprise me. Hey, Scott, you know what? Let's Let's lay a little background first for the listeners. To start off in Signature Bank, you gave a TEDx talk on Wall Street. You recently spoke at Google. Like, there's that element of you, but then you're diving so deep into the question that everybody seems to be begging right now. Is God real? Is there really a God? And if so, why should I care? Is that something that you've been passionate about, these two completely separate topics your whole life? Yes. And... I'll have to give you a little bit of autobiography to, to explain why. So my father was a Holocaust survivor. When he was liberated from Dachau by the American forces, he weighed 60 pounds. Wow. His family, he had witnessed his, he had, he, he, his father had been murdered not that far from him before he was even deported. His brothers were murdered. Um, his uncles were murdered. My closest living relative on my father's side is a second cousin once removed. I mean, the family was wiped out. So when he made it to Chicago, somehow, when he was liberated by the Americans, nursed back to health from sick, from, he was in a hospital for a year. Luckily, the American forces at the time knew that you couldn't just give people food who were liberated because it would kill them. Literally, they would go into insulin shock. They would, a whole bunch of stuff would happen. So they nursed him back to health. When he got to Chicago, 
when he married, when he had a son, namely me, I'm an only child. My father had this very strange relationship with God. He was certain there was a God because he knew that there was no way that his super duper unlikely path of survival would have, could have happened without a whole host of hidden miracles. On the other hand, he was angry at God. It, it took me a while to, to figure this out, but he was, he was angry too because he, 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 he was angry because of the fact that why would God let his whole family get wiped out? How could a good God do that? And so that's a conundrum that I had since I was small. And mm-hmm. I, I clearly, you know, like doing business. I enjoy the business world. Um, I've had a career that I'm extremely grateful for. But these questions have been inside of me since literally I was uh, a single, single digit number of years old. That is absolutely amazing. And I think so many people resonate with your father's story. Um, just in, I mean, it's the, it's the hero's journey. He went through horrific, unthinkable things that no textbook gives justice to things we can't even imagine, but he came out of it still certain because he had seen miracles, but asking the hard questions, just like David did in the Psalms. He asked, God, where are you so many times? Well, I think that the, the, the interesting conundrum is that for believers, there's really one very difficult question, which is, how can a good God allow such evil in the world? And we, we see it. For atheists, in all candor, I think there are many, many difficult questions. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I talk about some of those in, in, in the book, but the, 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 the key thing to remember, and I spend essentially a whole section of the book doing it and doing this is, a question that my father had with his fellow survivors, Mm -hmm. which is how could their neighbors have allowed us before my father was deported, the people in his neighborhood, in his small shtetl in his town, which had many Jews and many non-Jews, more non-Jews than Jews. Basically, I still remember this, him telling me this vividly, essentially the local Lithuanian circled around and watched the deportation. You know, so how many survivors wondered how did so many people just look around? And and there's you know all sorts of books. You know, Hitler's willing um, executioners, etc. You know, so mm-hmm. it came down in that case to a question of of free will mm-hmm. and of. God has put us on this planet to make choices. If we make really bad choices, we can cause tremendous harm mm-hmm. and we can cause tremendous, we can cause tremendous harm to others. On the other hand, if a lightning bolt strikes us every time we do something that's not good, then we become automatons. There's no, there's no choice. Good people and bad people will, will behave the same way. So part of 
the a, a core part of the question goes to free will. Mm-hmm. But nonetheless, that that doesn't necessarily make the victim feel any happier. Right. Do you think there's a remedy? How can we make the victim feel any happier? Well, I mean, the Bible and this, and I, I consistently go to the Bible for explanations and for ways of thinking about things because the Bible was really written in a way through, to, to, to convey its message through, through narratives. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes doing the right thing even doesn't get you rewarded right. immediately. I mean, look at the whole Moses story. Mm-hmm. Moses, what does he do? First, he sees a, a, an Egyptian beating an Israelite slave. So he does the only thing that's reasonable in that time frame, which is he kills the Egyptian, buries him, and, and, and saves the Israelite from being beaten to death. Mm-hmm. The next day, he sees two Israelites being, um, uh, be, being in some sort of argument. And clearly, the one Israelite must have spoken to other people because they say, are you going to do to us what you did yesterday? So he knows the gig is, he knows that the, 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 the gig is up. He's got to run. Mm-hmm. And so he runs for 40, he's in Midian for 40 years. He never thinks that he's going to be coming back. Mm -hmm. And don't forget the Israelites were in Egypt and many of them were born into slavery, died in slavery, Mm -hmm. and that was their whole life. So the Bible says that, you know, teaches us that you don't know. On the other hand, the fact that Moses stood up courageously Coupled with the fact that later the Israelites cry out to God, they pray essentially, mm-hmm. means that Moses is ready to be brought back on the scene. So taking the act of courage never guarantees success. But if we don't take those acts of courage, we disqualify ourselves from moral leadership. And I think that's what yeah. the Bible says. Mm-hmm. You know, I found it really interesting when I was researching your platform and your messaging to find that you are practicing traditional, the traditional Jewish faith, but you rely on the Bible so much and you reference it so much in the work that you do. Mm-hmm. And um, I found that really kind of fascinating being that I'm practicing traditional Christian faith mm-hmm. that I thought, well, that that to me was really kind of heartwarming because I thought you you come across so non-biased in so many ways about this topic. But I know that you do have some biases because you dive into the topic of idolatry and no holds barred. So let's unpack that because that is such a foundational piece of the work that you do. Yes, you 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 nailed it. So here's what I think links all monotheists. And here's, I think, the key to how we need to act in unison in the future. So people, people wonder, what was the Bible? What did the Bible come to do? Was it just another book like Homer? Was it just another like Ovid's Metamorphosis? Was it just some, <clears throat> was it just some ancient 
book written by some shepherds with too much time on their hands? And the answer that I give is decidedly no. The Bible had one major mission, which was to overturn idolatry. Now, we tend to think today that idolatry is just some uh, quaint bowing down to statues, magic making, etc., and that it's harmless. And so people don't even spend time thinking about it. But what they overlook is that idolatry is actually a set of lies about power. Mm. It's about ascribing super authority or superpowers to finite beings, i.e. people, God kings, ideologies, natural processes, or in the old ancient times, animals. Not so much anymore. So we may think, we may have, we may we may flatter ourselves to think that we've overcome idolatry when we licked the God King Pharaoh 3,300 years ago. And, and you said you've attended some seders, some Passover seders, mm-hmm. and we celebrate it. Mm-hmm. But in reality, the whole 20th century was a catalog of God King Pharaohs. Stalin, Mao, Pol Pot, the Assad family, the Kim family. And I could go on and on. How did Stalin convince, where did he get the authority to starve all the kulaks, to, I'm sorry, murder all the kulaks, to starve a quarter of the Ukraine, to throw tens of millions into the gulag, and much worse, because he, like all God kings, masked their humanity, masked the fact that they were human beings through poetry, pageantry, theater, and myth to deify himself as a god king and the communist ideology that was stalinism so he even had his image projected in by the soviet space agency into space so to a certain degree deifying these ideologies deifying these people it's with us today mm-hmm. and and if i could just make one more point before 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 we delve into this even more is people think sometimes oh well that's on a macro basis mm-hmm. but what i argue is that it's even on a on the level of our personal day-to-day encounters that idolatry is so relevant mm-hmm. so how did harvey weinstein kevin spacey matt lauer uh, charlie rose and the list sadly goes on and on and on how did they succeed in abusing so many people mm-hmm. and brutalizing them in some cases because they set themselves up successfully as idols. Now, nobody thought they were God kings, but they did have, they were unquestioned and unquestionable. They had super authority over people's career, over people's careers, over whether they could get jobs or not get jobs. Not normal authority, but super authority. Because the interesting thing is, if you're a god, you do what you wish. You do whatever your, your whim is. You mm-hmm. enslave people, you murder people, you steal from people. Or in the case in, in these smaller god-king idols, you just abu- you abuse them. Not just, but you abuse them. But the mechanism is the same. It's this setting certain folks up with super authority. and. That's what the Bible came to say is, no, 
God King Pharaoh didn't have super authority. He's just another human being. And the first people to figure that out were the Egyptian midwives, frankly, mm-hmm. who couldn't exactly tell the truth to the God King Pharaoh, but who defied them, who defied him. And, and, and how they did that, I think they, they, in a certain kind of way, are one of the first people to speak power, to speak some truth to real power. So we can dive in. I've said a lot. Mm-hmm. We can dive in however you wish, Sharon. Well, I think one of the questions that would really come to mind for listeners is uh, something that I'll just read what you, what you wrote um, when we were corresponding. The key to our personal existence is recognizing the dangers of self-deification, both of ourselves or others, or when ideologies or groups that we are a part of become deified. Yep. Okay, that's a tough topic. How do we? How do we step back and make sure that we are not falling into that nonsense? Well, it's really, really seductive. It is so seductive, right? (laughs) So seductive. And people want, by the way, to be that deity. I mean, Mm -hmm. if you, unfortunately, we've created a society where everybody wants to be that sort of, you know, mini deity. Mm -hmm. I I got my introduction to this. You know, I I think in our correspondence, I started out, or you know this, that I started out on Wall Street. Yes. And I worked for Solomon Brothers. And I got lucky enough, one day as I was going into the subway, I noticed a mid-level bond trader at Solomon, or he noticed me, frankly, uh, on 96th Street for your New York listeners. (laughs) And he was going to drive downtown. And that's a lot better than taking the subway from the 80s with no air conditioning in the summer. It It was really bad. I'd get to work drenched. But in any event, so these are the antediluvian days before cell phones. So you're driving from 96th and Lex and downtown, and I, he talked to me the whole time. So it was very clear early on that I realized he was deifying himself. He did so in a really Machiavellian way in that he would say, look, I, it's okay to steal from who one wants to can get away with as long as you follow the rules. If you can figure out a way to meander your way around regulation, um, that's okay. If you need to backstab the person on top of you, that's okay, as long as either you thoroughly um, eliminate him so he can't retaliate, or you keep it a secret. And (laughs) it took me a while to realize that this guy was really, you know, sort of self-deifying, and he did it in a way that not everybody would 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 uh, recognize. Because whenever he give made sure to give to the right political causes, he made sure that when everybody talked about income inequality, he would nod sagely. But in reality, all he cared about was himself and mm-hmm. to a certain degree his family. Mm-hmm. Now, by the way, there are there are other people on Wall Street like that. I'm not going to say he was the only one. Well, that's I a met shocker. a lot of them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're not making breaking news on that, um, but so many people. You know, look. I don't need to tell you today. Just look around in our celebrity-driven world, where people want to become little god king idols, mm-hmm. and it's a serious problem. And the the thing that I say 
that I write about in the book is I think the key to all of this mm-hmm. is something that's clearly in the Hebrew scriptures. Um, actually, Jesus repeats it in the um, in the uh, in the Christian scriptures. It's and and that is Hillel said. Hillel, one of our sages, said two thousand years ago. Uh, he said this uh, just before, probably just before Jesus' birth. He says, um, someone asks him about the Bible, and he says. Um, the entire Bible can be summarized as don't do unto others as you wouldn't want done unto you. The rest is commentary. Go learn it. Um, the Bible itself says, love your neighbor as yourself. It says 36 times to, you know, be kind to the stranger. It all comes down to, and Jesus restates the golden rule in, in the Christian scriptures. It all comes down to the golden rule in a sense. And the reason the golden rule makes sense to all of humanity is because the Bible starts out by saying we're all created in the image of God. We're all brothers and sisters. I mean, from the from from Cain and Abel, we we learn we're all brothers and sisters. We're, we're all descended. You know, we're all descend. And you don't have to take the 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 beginning of the Bible literally to believe that. Because, again, the Bible, in my view, the first 11 chapters of the Bible are somewhat allegorical. And I think there's, there's, uh, I think I bring a lot of, I bring a lot of evidence, not evidence, but corroborating sources from uh, Jewish ancient rabbis, as well as early church fathers who thought the same way. Um, Not that it was universal, but clearly a lot of people thought that way. So the Bible, but the Bible is saying, look, God created all humanity. We're all brothers and sisters. If you're an idolater and, you know, you are just part of your God king, well, other people in other societies or who are governed by other God kings don't count. So it becomes so easy to demonize them. Mm -hmm. And indeed, that's what ideologies do. How did Hitler tell the Germans to kill all the Jews? Mm -hmm. Because... Jews were vermin. They weren't human beings. They were mm-hmm. not part of the human race. They were something else. And again and again, we've seen that in every genocide, that the victims are not considered to be brothers and sisters of the same God. Mm-hmm. So it's, again, at a macro level and a micro level. And I think mm-hmm. this is a very, and, and you've talked about you know, the, the, the importance of recognizing lies in relationships. Well, that's mm-hmm. the fundamental lie. And to me, it comes down to idolatry. That is so good. That is so, I can't even take notes as fast as you talk because I'm, I'll be listening to this episode over and over. I'm sure my listeners will too. So let's step back for a second. I really want to know your opinion, where, what your thoughts are on this power grab for for power is it based in sin is it based in a lack of self-worth is it a lack of understanding that we all bleed red what do you think it's a combination of those things that's an excellent question um the bible recognizes really early on that we have sort of evil urges for power. Um, 
and 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 you know it's it's even what um it's even how god addresses cain right before he kills abel mm-hmm. uh, sin croucheth at your door and in the talmud um there's a long discussion about the grasping for power grasping for um authority and both i would say certainly and i and i i i i use a lot of different sources here but the early ancient rabbis said that we don't like this evil inclination this grasp for power either so they do a thought experiment <clears throat> which is let's eliminate that and then they recognize that boy, that would be bad for society as well. So if no one wanted to compete, if no one wanted to move to the next level, if no one wanted to earn any more money, if no one wanted to try to figure out how to invent the wheel, then you know everybody was just happy. What do we need a wheel for? Why should we advance? Well, that wouldn't be good either because to a certain degree, our urge to do more is also part of our humanity. The trick is, and the p- place that we need God for, is to keep that in the appropriate place and to channel it for good, not for evil. But if we eliminated all desire, that wouldn't necessarily be so good. We couldn't, we, we're complicated beings. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, there was, uh, I don't know if you're a, I'm an, I'm an old original Star Trek fan, but there was one uh, I, I loved. I've seen all the original episodes a number of times. Uh, all research for the book, I, I assure you. Okay. Um, <laughs> but in one, of the, uh, in one of the early ones, there's a, there's a, there's a, uh, a, a, a transporter malfunction, and there's a good Kirk and a bad Kirk. And if oh. you recall, the good Kirk, he mm-hmm. can't make a decision. He can't do anything. He's paralyzed by indecision and by inability to advance because he's worried that the, you know what the what the repercussions will be. Unfortunately, we need a little bit of that. Mm-hmm. The question is, and I think what the scriptures do and what belief in God does is to say, no, we want to advance, but we're all created in the image of God. So I can't do what that bond that that bond trader wanted to do. I can't just, you know try to take from the other person. I can try to make money, but no, I can't, you know, deceive him. I can't try to do anything wrong. And if we, we maintain our urge for more coupled with re coupled with morality, well, I'm convinced as a society, we can accomplish a lot. The problem is sadly, we're not getting that balance. So right. That's so interesting. Well, first of all, I love the Captain Kirk reference, and I wonder what Spock would say about all this. But do you think these people like ever stop and think about a consequence? Or are they so delusional and far removed thinking that they're so powerful that there it just isn't a consequence for me? I think you've hit the nail on the head because they, once you deify yourself, mm-hmm. um, 
you think that other people don't count the same way mm-hmm. and be, and people become geniuses at self justification mm, i mean I like that. do you do you think if you would have stopped you know, again, I'm not picking on anybody in particular, but you know, the Charlie Roses, the Harvey Weinsteins, Matt Lowers, et cetera, the world during when they, before they were caught. Right. Do you think they would say uh, that they were evil? Probably not. They probably mm-hmm. would have come up with a bunch of self-justification. Right. Self-delusion. And you know, if I can go back for a second to that original story that I was talking about, because I think self-delusion is actually also explained by the Bible. Mm-hmm. When you remember the, the Egyptian midwives, they're commanded by Pharaoh to do what? To kill every Israelite baby at the birth mm-hmm. store. Mm-hmm. So they go back to Pharaoh and they say, and he says, well, why, why are these all these little Israeli Israelite boys running around? And the, 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 the Egyptian midwives say, oh, the Israelite women, they're so fertile um, they give birth so fast. And actually Hebrew is interesting because they give birth, they use the word chiot, which means, which comes from chayab, which comes from the word animal in Hebrew. Mm-hmm. So in other words, the, the Egyptian midwives say the Israelite women give birth like animals. Mm. So they don't need midwives. And that's why everybody's surviving. And interestingly enough, they understood that that was because Pharaoh was so self-deluded. He wouldn't say, wait a second, Israelite women are just like all other women. They need a midwife. Mm-hmm. Instead, they say to him, they feed back the lie mm-hmm. that Israelite women, no, they're not like you. They're not like us. They're animals. Hmm. And it works. So people even self-delude themselves. And, and, yes. and, and, and the right manipulators of deifiers understand how to utilize the delusions of folks who self-idolicize themselves. They, they actually can actually use that for their purposes. And the Bible explains it. It's right there. That's amazing. I know people are listening to this and they're making a list of all the people that they engage with that, that fit the bill. That's fit the bill. This is so good. Okay. So I do want to jump into one of the questions that you address is why is it even rational to believe in God? So like your dad is such an amazing example, but there's some people that are just going to say, it just does not make sense to me. It's not logical. What do we say to people like that? Well, first of all, I say to people, and I, I, the great thing on book tours, I've met a lot of atheists. And I say to them, and I say to everybody, I can make common cause with atheists who do one thing, which is follow the golden rule. Mm-hmm. Because if, if you don't believe that every, we all share a spark of humanity, at least if you, be, that you believe, a, if, if you don't agree that, that, just like it says in the first chapter of the Bible, that we share a spark of divinity, mm-hmm. um, then at least believe that we all share a common spark of humanity. Because that gets us to the golden rule. And I have no problem with golden rule atheism at all. I mean, I think we, we, need, we need to make common cause. Mm-hmm. The problem, and we can get into this later, is I think atheism too easily morphs into idolatry. Mm. And, 
and and I think and and there's definitely huge risks of that. Mm-hmm. But I'm also mindful of the fact that monotheism, if abused, can result in idolaters wearing monotheist costume and clothing. And that's why the way we Jews count the Ten Commandments, the Third Commandment is not to take God's name, Bishop, not to take God's name in vain. Mm-hmm. And what that means is, is that anytime anyone sets themselves up as the sole spokesperson for God, mm-hmm. says, I know what God means, mm-hmm. then boy, that's when the horrors happen within mm-hmm. religion. And that's how you get pedophile priests, red-handed rabbis and inflammatory imams. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's throughout. I'm all, so I never want to start by saying we, and this is why I'm backing up. I never want to start by saying we believers got it all covered. Don't worry. We're here mm-hmm. because unfortunately too many so-called believers actually deify themselves too. Mm-hmm. And that's why we have to be really, really vigilant against monotheists who use, who essentially again, use idolatry to control others, to abuse others. And we have to set them outside of the, 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 the monotheist camp Mm -hmm. because the biggest thing that people come to me with a question, and we can get into why it's rational to believe in God. But I'll tell you for what I hear from atheists, the number one question isn't that. It's that they'll give me a litany of religious figures who have done something wrong. Mm. And they'll say, mm. how can you believe? How, they believe in God. You believe in that same God? No way. It doesn't make sense. Mm-hmm. That's actually the number one atheist question I get. Then they say it doesn't make sense. And they've got mm-hmm. this whole bunch of other stuff. And I'm happy to go into that. Um, and I have a section devoted on science and the Bible and the like. And, and I think in a way, it's like what I said, I think either at the beginning or before we started taping, which is that essentially for, uh, essentially for believers, we have one very difficult question, which is how a good God can let bad stuff happen. Right. Atheists right. have to answer a whole bunch of other questions that are really unlikely as to how the universe began and and essentially every question every solution that atheists give are pretty pretty remote mm-hmm. um and are pretty pretty far-fetched whether you know justifying the mathematics of neo-darwinism to justifying that we're one universe in the multiverse which are all again just can guesses Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the whole multiverse is really no more at this point than a guess. So the, the hard problem is, is evil. And you've, you've touched right upon that. You've touched right upon that. And, and you've spoken so eloquently on that issue as well. I find that the questions that you hear most often is, is pretty much what I hear most often, even from people that say, well, I still consider myself a Christian. However, I don't go to church. I don't practice anymore. And it's because of, and then they go into the story. 
oh, my neighbor that's a Christian and sits on the board at their local church, you know, he's, he's drinking and he cheated on his wife and like all this stuff. And I think that people forget that practicing a faith does not mean that you're no longer human and making mistakes. And some of them like really, really bad mistakes with huge consequences. And then yes. they blame God and they completely miss the point of having free will, which I told you earlier, I addressed in my book, um, there's consequences of our choices, good consequences and bad consequences. And the unfortunate thing is that if we make a bad choice and have those bad consequences that affect our neighbor and we're quote, you know, Christian or Jewish or Catholic or, you know, whatever faith you profess, your peers then think that everybody is that way that practices that same faith. You know, they generalize and they put everybody in the same bag. I totally agree. I think that, you know, we, we, we have to be worried again, even at an individual level about self-deifying. But here's the thing that I think that even if people don't practice and they don't go to church or they don't go to synagogue or they don't go to whatever their place of worship is, here's what I really encourage people to do which is to pray mm. because for me prayer is how you can center yourself because if you're if you're praying and you are praying correctly you know you're praying to a deity to the deity that knows everything about you there's nowhere to hide it, it's a place of radical honesty mm -hmm. and it can actually lead to change to transforming our relationships. Because if you're really praying to that, to the almighty, then it's like being under a lot. You can't lie to the almighty. You can't, you can't, you, you, you can mislead a therapist. You can mislead a spouse, but you can't hide. And, and that bright light is such that usually for many of us, you know, I'll certainly speak for myself. When you look at one's uh, your own action, you know, one's own actions, you you tend to squint and cringe. Mm -hmm. And what prayer offers is the place to figure out how to write oneself, mm -hmm. how to get in the right place. And I'm a big believer that, you know, you can't treat prayer as as like a cosmic vending machine. You know, I want, I'm praying to God for a new car or I'm praying to God for um, whatever. It, it really, what prayer does, and, and the Hebrew word is lihipalel, which is a reflexive act. What prayer really is, is hopefully it hastens courageous change on our parts. Mm. And I'm a big believer that if we make courageous change and we hasten redemption in some way, that then it makes sense for an omnibenevolent God to act in partnership with us to make a good, a better outcome happens, you know, because, and we get a wind to our back is what I like to say. We get a, mm -hmm. we get a, a tailwind, not a headwind things, mm -hmm. things and coincidence and coincidences can help us. So that's why prayer is so important to me. And I, and, and, you know, I, I, I really, 
do counsel people who are far away from a church. Don't, you know, don't even get, don't, that's not the first step. Going to church isn't the first step. Prayer is the first step. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But doing it really honestly, and that's yeah. really, really hard. That is I mean, so hard. It is the hardest thing to do is to really pray. I We're, think the way that you labeled it, hastens courageous change, is one of the most profound ways I've ever heard prayer described. And and I'm gonna I'm gonna put that on my social media and give you the credit because that that's the truth right there. I really believe it. It takes courage to change. It takes courage to admit maybe I'm wrong. It takes courage to say something's not right. I need to adjust the rudder and the sails of my life and stand up. And, 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 you know, I wish that people in Nazi Germany were really praying. Well, really, should I be, you know, part of killing not only Jews, but all sorts of other minorities? Really? Is this what I ought to be doing? Because I can't believe that those kind of actions can stand up to real prayer. And there's a history of people recognizing and coming to grips with who they are and what they're doing mm-hmm. through prayer, through self-reflection. Mm-hmm. It's so important. It's so important. That's so key right there because it's too easy to just do a couple of one-off prayers and not do the self-reflection. So when I wrote my book, I talked about some of this a little bit, not as in depth, of course, as what you've done, because yours is a college course. It's amazing. (laughs) But there were years and years that I prayed. I was like, God, help me. You know, and and I was, mine was a set of circumstances where really bad things happened. I did not know how to take action and change things for a very, very long time. It's a process where I believe that we have such a gracious God that does walk with us until we get to this point where we're really ready to be courageous and take our power back and and make those courageous changes. Be proactive in our life instead of staying stuck and saying, well, I prayed and nothing happened. So here I sit. Well, the whole Bible is about really setups and tests. Mm -hmm. Will you make the right decision? What will you do with what's been done to you? Mm -hmm. And making that decision, I mean, Moses, 40 years, he went into the, he got, he, he got the word. Moses, you know, took more leadership in the right time. When the time was right, he was able to lead the people. I'll give you an example that most people don't think of. Elijah, Eliyahu, the prophet. Remember after the great pyrotechnics with the, oh my gosh. Uh, in front of Ahab, he That's a great flees. story. He does. He, he runs back to a cave. <laughs> he runs back to a cave. And what does God do? He says, he sends an angel, here's some food, here's some water. He brings him up to Mount Sinai for 40 days and 40 nights. I mean, the hint is pretty clear. Be like Moses. Go back and lead the people. And what does he say? 
Elijah, remember, he says, I'm the only righteous one. Kill, <laughs> kill me if, you know, kill, kill everyone else and start over with me. And what does God say? Anoint your successor. He clearly didn't get it. God was begging for partnership with Elijah. And Elijah wouldn't get it. He wouldn't, he wouldn't forget about take the hint. I don't know how much more of a hint he could have had. And, and, and so we constantly find, when are we going to do the right thing? The whole story of Genesis, the whole book can't end until Judah, Yehuda stands up and says that Tamar is more righteous than me. When he does exactly what you're saying, he recognizes his sin. He fesses up publicly and does the right thing. And that's only the reason he has the more leadership to go and stand up to, to Joseph because at the end of that, he wouldn't have internally had that moral fiber to think about standing up. He would have said, you know, maybe keep, keep, keep uh, Benjamin, keep Benjamin, and then the rest of us will go back. So those, and I could go on and on. Mm-hmm. Constantly, the Bible is saying, here's the story. How do you react? And if we do the right thing, we get a wind to our back. If we don't do the right thing, we don't get a wind to our back. Now, it could be 40 years you're wandering in Midian. So yeah. it's not like it happens quick because it depends. You know, we, we don't have a God's eye view of the world. Yeah. But, but, you know, that's what faith, that's what faith is about. And that's what good faith is about. Oh, my goodness, Scott. What a fascinating conversation. I could seriously keep you on here the rest of the week and we're recording on a Monday. So you're going to have to come back and unpack it would be more a pleasure. of your book. But I, I do want to ask one last question because I want to respect your time. What advice would you give to your 20 year old self? Oh, I wish I had recognized idolatry earlier mm. because um, I also uh, 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 to my 20 year, so, 20 year old self, I recognized, I met a lot of God Kings on wall street and, and it takes a lot to, it takes a lot of power to push back. It's not always so easy. And I wish I had been, it took me a while. I mean, like the, the, the story I told you about going down to the, to the middle level, to the, to the mid-level bond trader of really hearing, hearing idolatry Mm -hmm. and recognizing it. And don't forget, idolatry is so seductive. I mean, Mm -hmm. why do people hang on to idolaters either at the big level? You know, how did, how do all of the, how did, how did so many people hang on to you know, and became devotees of Stalin or devotees of all of the folks I talked to you about who were abusers because their followers sort of feel like they get a taste of their power. Mm-hmm. And that happens on Wall Street too. Mm-hmm. And thank, thank God. I mean, I really, my faith and my lessons I learned from my father gave me the strength to at some point recognize what was going on. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm, you know, I'm very, very grateful for that. So I don't know if that's, that's advice, but I would have uh, given my 20 year old self, but I, 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 I hope I've answered your question. No, I, th- I think it's such a great answer. And while you were answering my 
first thought that popped into my head was the the TV show American Idol. And mm -hmm. I thought there's all these shows where people are competing and there's nothing wrong with competition. But I thought, what what is the messaging behind it? And maybe I'm overthinking it or reading too far into it. But this is what the young people are growing up with is how, how to be the best and be on that platform and have a million followers and millions and millions of likes. So I was having this conversation with my youngest son that's a senior in high school. And he was saying, Mom, you know, your book's coming out. And he goes, what would you do if you became famous? And I said, I don't want to be famous. And he said, well, why? And we started talking about high profile celebrities. I said, do you know, they cannot even go to Target or go grab a hamburger without somebody watching what they're doing and posting it people go through their trash, people follow them. And I said, I, I could not live like that. I would stop being me. And yeah. he like, he looked at me like with kind of big eyes because he is at that tender age of looking at the social media influence and thinking that that's what we should all aspire to do. Well, if, if I come back, we can continue the conversation talking about how atheism can lead to all sorts of idolatries. Oh, I think that's and a great that's, idea. You're, you're, really, you're really sort of uh, teeing up the question. Okay. Well, I think that we have to have you back and we'll, we'll do a series because this is just <laughs> too good. Maybe we can even go live and take, take questions from the audience. That would be amazing. It's a it would be a pleasure. Thank you so much, Scott. You are just a wealth of information. Um, so well-rounded, so well-spoken. I just love the work you're doing and it's a true blessing. Thank you. It's really a pleasure to be here and have this conversation with you, Sharon. Okay. I'm going to hold you to it. You're coming back. <laughs> <laughs> that was absolutely fascinating. In this world of people becoming idols and thinking they can do whatever they want with no consequences, I really think that this podcast episode especially needs to be shared out into your community. So please consider doing that. I have everything linked for you below in the show notes so you can connect with Scott. You will find him at scottshay.com and grab his book, ingoodfaith.com. Really what we talked about today is just the tip of the iceberg. His book is amazing. As always, friends, I appreciate you so much being here. And until next time, I wish you every good thing.